the story of Joseph through times of trial. As we begin this morning, uh, when Scott again asked me to do something like this, I sort of went, what, at first? And then just prayed about it, and I knew it was something I had to do. Um, I looked through his list, and I just saw Joseph, the story of Joseph, and I said, you know, we just finished doing that in the fall in Children's Church. We have a Wednesday night's children's service. I said, man, we just did that, so I got it covered. So I thought. Then I looked at Joseph, and I was talking to Reed about it, and he said, dude, you know you took one with 14 chapters? What were you thinking? <laughs> so, like me, I'm always glutton for punishment. I usually do it the worst on myself than anyone else. But I have learned a lot from this story uh, through my life, and Kelly and I really, as a married couple, have lived Joseph. And hopefully I can get this across this morning to you, to how Joseph, like we learned in VBS, he just trusted God in everything he did. I'm going to pray this morning that the Holy Spirit allows the words that I want to say, or he wants to say, comes out. I pray that you will please open your eyes, your ears, and your hearts for what God wants you to learn from this incredible story. The story of Joseph can teach us how to walk in God, with God, in the midst of challenges. Because a young man kept his eyes on the Lord, God placed him in a position to deliver his family from famine. Our Heavenly Father still uses people today who walk faithfully with him in the midst of hardship. If you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 37, we'll start with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending to the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and Zephla, his father's wives, and he brought a father, their father a report about them. So very at the very beginning, we learned Joseph was one, probably the, the only negative thing I saw about him was he was a tattletaler. He went and told his father on what all his brothers were doing that they weren't supposed to be doing. Then in verse 3, Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age, he made an ornate robe for him the robe we know, many know as the coat of many colors. Now Jacob is now showing his other sons that Jacob is the favorite, which does not help matters with attention with his brothers. Then in verse 4, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him, and he could not speak. they could not speak a kind word of him. In simple words, Joseph's brothers hated him. There was no other words. They didn't want to be around him. They didn't want to talk to him. They just downright hated him. If the coat wasn't enough to create some family tension, wait until you hear what happened next. 
Joseph had his first dream. He told it to his brothers, which probably wasn't very smart. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were binding bales of grain out in the field when suddenly my bale rose and yours fell in front of me. So his brother said, so does this mean you intend to reign over us? You will actually rule us? That made them hate him all the more. Then another dream. He told it to his brothers and father this time. Listen, he said. Now you have to remember, Joseph was 17 when this happened. Listen, he said. I had another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When his father heard this, they rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Am I and your brothers going to bow down to you? And his brothers were still, this was a jealousy, and his brothers were just, was just building. But his father kept this in his back of his mind and just tried to let it go. One day, Jacob was sending his, Joseph back out in the field to check on his brothers who were out doing their work in the field. I, you know, I don't know where Joseph was. They decided they had enough of Joseph and they were going to kill him. Get rid of the problem, right? Reuben, one of Joseph's brothers, talked him out of killing him and to throw him in a pit with no food and water, which is what they ended up doing. And not only did they do that, they sat there mockingly beside the pit eating a nice meal. Joseph was pleading to let him out. So as the other brothers are trying to find out a way how to kill him, Reuben again says, we're not going to do this. And as they were doing this, the uh, foreign traders were on their way. Some foreign traders were on their way to Egypt. So they decided to sell Joseph. But not only did they sell Joseph, the brothers took the coat, cut it up like a beast would have eaten it or shredded it, put blood on it, and took it back to Jacob. The funny thing is, the brothers didn't go running back saying, Oh, this beast ate Joseph. They let the father conclude that a beast ate Joseph. So the brothers didn't want their hands on the bad part of the story, right? They're going to let this, their father conclude that just by what the coat with the blood that a beast must have got him. And so the father mourned over Joseph's death. Joseph then winds up being sold to Potiphar, a wealthy Egyptian leader. While Joseph is simply a house slave, God blesses Joseph's hard work so that Potiphar makes him the head steward of his entire estate. Things are fine for about 10 years until Potiphar wife's gets the hots for Joseph. Joseph was a very good-looking man at that time. And comes to him with amazing subtlety. And in verse 39-7, it says pretty plainly, And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. 
Joseph declines, but she persists day after day. And one day finally grabs his skirt, and Joseph flees from the house, possibly being the first biblical streaker. (laughs) The bad thing is she proclaims that Joseph raped her. But the good thing is, the way Potiphar knew Joseph, he didn't kill him immediately. He threw him in the jail. And in the jails back then, it wasn't like the jails today where you have TV and all that and you can work out. You just sat there and rotted till you died. God upheld Joseph, and something about his attitude caught the eye of the chief jailer. He made Joseph his top prisoner in charge for serving the other prisoners. Then Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and baker get thrown into the same jail with Joseph. For some reason, they made Pharaoh angry, and he just threw him in the jail. God then, excuse me, one night they had dreams, and they didn't know what to do. So they were talking to Joseph, and he said, in Scripture, we both had dreams, they answered, But there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So if you want to follow along, it's in 49, chapter 40, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and a cluster of grapes ripened and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took it, and the grapes, and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand once again, as you did when you were his cupbearer before. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh so I can get out of jail. Then the baker said, I also had a dream. He said, on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating the bread out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Again, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat away at your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker's head just as Joseph has interpreted. If we look back on those three days for the cupbearer, Looked pretty good, didn't it? Didn't look good for the baker. What would you have done those three days? Someone just told you, you're going to die in three days. 
sort of reminds you of someone else, doesn't it? As we read Scripture, the dreams are fulfilled three days later. But once the cupbearer gets out of prison, guess what he forgets to do? He forgets to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. So Joseph rots in this jail for two more years. Then an amazing thing happens, another dream. This dream's from Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream about 14 cows, which no one can explain. The cupbearer now remembers Joseph in jail. And he recommends him, and Joseph is ushered to Pharaoh's presence. God enables him to explain the dream as a prediction of seven years of bumper crops, followed by seven years of famine. Joseph also counsels the Pharaoh to find someone to take this over and get all the crops ready for the famine. And Pharaoh said, I'm looking at the best man right here. So, here's Joseph in jail rotting. Now, he's second in command of Egypt in a day. Joseph spends the next seven years getting married, starting a family, and executing the grain plan for Egypt. Then the famine hits. At this point, the plot thickens, and the tension between Joseph and his brothers is resumed. The famine is severe in Canaan. So one day, Jacob says to his sons, You knuckleheads, why are you staring at one another? Get off your lazy behinds and get down to Egypt and get some grain. They go down and are sent like everyone else to Joseph, where they bow down. Hmm. That's fulfilling verse 37.7. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because Joseph is now almost 40. He's in his Egyptian dress and the position of what Joseph is in. You know, he's second command of Egypt. They would never expect the brother that they were going to leave there to rot in that pit and then sold would now be second command of Egypt. Joseph accuses them of being spies and says he won't believe them unless they bring him his youngest brother to him. Not really realizing that Joseph can speak Hebrew, they say in his presence, Great, this is what we get for killing our brother. Joseph looks, locks Simeon up, sends the others back home with enough grain and to make it back to Egypt. But he's not going to do this to get back at them because he weeps privately after they leave. When his brothers get home, Jacob's pretty hysteric. He says, I've already lost one son. I've got another one rotting in jail. And you want me to entrust you with my youngest son. And he refuses to let Benjamin go. But the bad thing is they get hungrier. The food that they had is getting low again. Jacob eventually agrees and they go, they take Joseph, excuse me, they take Benjamin back. Joseph releases Simeon, dines with them, which is heavily against Egyptian custom at this time, and is so moved by seeing Benjamin that he has to remove himself from the room to weep. The next day, Joseph loads them up with grain, but puts his servant, his servant, but has his servant hide a silver cup in Benjamin's bag or suitcase. After they leave, he sends the security guards to pull them over and say, so this is how you repay my master, is by stealing? 
they're so offended they say, you can kill whoever you find it on. The silver cup was in Benjamin's bag. So here they are. Now Benjamin's going to die. They're beside themselves. They're cuffed and put into the police cruiser. And they were brought before Joseph. And Judah says, what can we say? We are being punished for God for our past sins. He begs Joseph to make him a slave rather than take Benjamin because they cannot bear to break their father's heart again. Joseph was so overcome with emotion, he sent away all his attendants. He told his brother who he was. They did not respond because they were scared Joseph would want revenge. Joseph assured him, God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph told his brothers to go home, gather all their family and belongings, and come back to Egypt, where they would live free from famine for the rest of their lives. Joseph sent supplies for the return trip and gifts for Jacob. When the brothers returned and explained to Jacob what had happened, he was stunned and did not believe them until he saw the supplies that they came back with. Jacob was happy and excited to go see Joseph. On the way, God gave Jacob a vision. God spoke to him and said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will also bring you back. All of Jacob's family, from sons to great-grandsons, headed to Egypt. When Joseph met his father, they hugged and wept. The family was blessed in Egypt, and Jacob got older and died. Joseph's brothers were a little bit worried about that because they thought, well, dad's gone. Jacob's going to get his revenge. Excuse me. Joseph is going to get his revenge. Joseph didn't say that. I'm in a place with God. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. To bring out the present result, which is the survival of many people. Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In the, story, in the Bible, it says Joseph lived to be about 110 years old. Larry and Joseph have a lot in common, don't they? I haven't picked on him in many months. This story is one of the most moving of all time. It's also one of the most spiritual, richest sections of the whole Bible containing many important truths and lessons for us. I'm going to move to to part where, where we can take this story and put it in our lives today. From Joseph's brothers, we learned our root problem and how to resolve it. They were sinners. Joseph may have been arrogant at first. Their father favoritism was probably foolish. But they were morally wrong and responsible for what they did to Joseph. While what they did to Joseph was wrong, even more importantly, they had sinned against our God. Until 
they got the issue resolved. Their lives were fundamentally off course, and all of other relationships were adversely affected by it. Has this ever happened to you? Any of you hold a grudge against someone? I did. My father. My father and mother divorced when I was 10 years old. I didn't like my father. But you know what? About 10 years after that, I was married to Kelly, and we were at a revival. And you know, God brought that vision into my heart. He says, you will not move on with your walk until you forgive your father. So I did. I went the next day and forgave my father for all the hurts that he had done to me. He didn't know. But I held a grudge. And ever since then, I still have trials. But my father and I became great friends after that. So please, if you, someone has hurt you, let trust in God that he will handle the situation. Do not let grudge take you down. It will. It will bury you. This is the way God says it was with us too. The root problem for our lives is not what we have been mistreated by other people, but we have sinned against a holy God. We are alienated from him and justly under his judgment. This is the root problem that manifests in symptoms in all others of our lives. And so God, because he loved them, orchestrated events to bring the issues to surface. Notice the factors of God to move them to repentance because he uses these same factors in our lives. He allowed Joseph's brothers and his family to experience the famine. Later, when they would look back on this, it was the best thing that ever happened to them. By the t- but by the time they just saw, it was a real drag. This is how God gets our attention because it's the most effective way to help us see something is radically wrong in our life. He prompted the memory of their guilt by having Joseph treat them the same way he treated them. Joseph was not being cruel or vengeful. He was cooperating with God to awaken their conscience. In chapter 42, verse 21, it says, They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. This is what God wants us to do. Not so that we can be tortured by guilt, but so we can resolve our guilt. We try to repress it, rationalize it, and focus on how others have mistreated us. That's not the way to fix it. He guided them into realization of how their sins were affecting others. When they realized how Benjamin's death would break Jacob's heart, they realized how much They must have broken his heart when they sold Joseph. Judah's confession to Joseph and the response God is looking for in chapter 44, verse 16. What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We are ourselves and the one who is found to have the cup. 
He acknowledges the guilt without any excuses. He admits he deserves judgment and asks for mercy. This is a response Jesus says God is waiting to hear from us. This is what the Bible calls repentance. It's almost though Joseph was a Christ-like figure, isn't he? There's no coincidence. Joseph is, in fact, a prophetic type of Jesus. He was righteous. He was wrongly rejected by his people. But God works through his rejection to provide deliverance for the ones who rejected him. From Joseph, we learn the negative, negative, excuse me, we learn to navigate victoriously through the world that is hostile and unfair. Joseph is the opposite of the victim mentality because life or others have treated me cruelly or unfairly. I am justified in seeking vengeance, nursing self-pity, living selfishly and irresponsibly. Expecting others to compensate for me. Part of this picture is true. Because we live in a fallen world. We are all victimized by others. That causes real pain. Civil rights and civil justice is important. Many people's pain aggravated because their worldview doesn't include the fall. And therefore, they expect their lives to be happy and pain-free. More importantly, God exists and has revealed himself to us through his word. This does not change evil into good, nor pain into pleasure. But it does provide a perspective which can deliver us from the bondage of the victim mentality. If ever there was a true victim, it was Joseph. Who has ever met anyone who has been more treated more unfairly than Joseph? Yet, he was so different because his response was so different. Wouldn't you like to have the response that Joseph had to everything? I would. He models for us what looks like to trust God's loving sovereignty. Instead of taking credit for everything to get ahead, he witnessed by giving credit to God at every crucial point. Instead of giving into despair, he chose to recall and believe God's promise concerning his life. And he chose to believe God was bigger than any circumstances or people in his life. Instead of passively resigning himself and complaining about his circumstances, he creatively sought to serve wherever he was. Because he was faithful in little, God made him faithful in much. I'm going to share a Philip story. I hope he doesn't kill me for this afterwards. Kelly and I tried for seven years to have a baby, and it just didn't happen. We had all the tests, ran all the tests, did all the tests, did everything what they said. It just didn't happen. So Richard met a family one day that ran a shelter in Georgia, Marietta, Georgia. 
They would vacation in Cocoa Beach. And Richard Disson, talking to him like he does everyone, found out what they were doing. And he said, my daughter needs a baby. Later on, a baby did come available. That was Philip. So in three months, we're building a nursery and getting ready, hiring attorneys to adopt Philip. It was night and day to Kelly and I. We were now going to have a baby. God blessed us with a baby. Philip got here. I, I cannot share the joy of putting him in my arms in that hospital. But within the first year of Philip's life, he was in the hospital nine times. He couldn't breathe. Couldn't eat. He would eat, lose weight, gain weight. He just couldn't breathe. Finally, after eight times in the hospital, Kelly and I finally said, we need an answer. So they took Philip and put him in Tampa's Children's Hospital for a week and ran every possible test. Really didn't come up with anything except asthma. So we're fighting this and going through with it. And God always played a role in this. We can remember it today. We were in our sorrows in the hospital sometimes. And then there would be a single mother with it bringing a child in. We had each other. But she had no help whatsoever. And it would always wake up our eyes. We don't have it bad. The amazing part of the story is... And I just lost track of it. One day... We went to a Nazarene church in Florida, almost like Northside, but a little bit bigger. It was the most loving church other than Northside I've ever been in. The youth minister, Reed, came up to us and said, even the trials that you're going through with Philip, be sure the world is watching you on how you handle this trial. I think Kelly and I can remember that. It was in front of the building. And we can remember that moment as of today. And that was a long time ago. People are watching how you handle a trial. The outside world is watching how you handle a trial. So it's so important to trust God with that. Instead of compromising a morally to get ahead... He obeyed God even at his own personal disadvantage. Wow. Have we ever had this come up in your work life? Instead of becoming bitter toward his offenders, he extended forgiveness to them. He knew that he was not a victim in the truest sense of the word. He knew that because of God's loving sovereignty. No human could ruin his life or prevent him from fulfilling God's promise and purpose. Because he trusted God in this way, Joseph experienced God's personal support in every situation. The Lord is with him. And he experienced the satisfaction of fulfilling God's purpose for his life. For this is what God wants you to experience too. I know in everything we do, we always want a Christ connection with our stories or of our sermons. We do this in children's church as well on our Wednesday nights. Everything we teach, all we, we, even when you're in the Old Testament... We put a Christ connection to it. 
And I'm going to share with you what the Gospel Project, what we learned in Children's Church for this Christ Connection. It was just so good I, I had to put, input it. This is what we find in this story. God sent Joseph to Egypt and blessed him so that he rose to a position of great power. In that position, he was God's instrument for saving his family and many others in the world from death by starvation. Jesus gave up his position of great power to be God's instrument for saving people. Christ's life and death made a way to save people from spiritual death, which is the penalty of sin. Secondly, Joseph recognized that through his brothers, though his brothers intended evil, God planned his circumstances for good. Paper style. To establish a remnant to God's people. Likewise, through those crucified Jesus intended it for evil, God's plan for the sacrifice of his son was for the good of all people. Though Jesus' death on the cross, through Jesus' death on the cross, God again saved a remnant of people. In conclusion... I have a question for you. Remember whatever may you, you may face in this world. However deep and dark the valleys you are called to walk through. However heavy the loads you are called upon to bear. God is merely allowing these things in your life to strengthen and to help you become more like him. That's the only reason they're happening. The question is, how are you going to respond to these problems when they come your way?